your Bibles open to Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 37. That will be our text this morning. Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 37. The title of the sermon this morning is drawn from verse 36 of this text. Jesus' authority and power over unclean spirits. Jesus' authority and power over unclean spirits. Now as we look at this text this morning, we come face to face with demonic power and possession. We live in a very modern, sterile world, and we may think that we are past the time of dealing with demons. Our 21st century minds may think, well, maybe in some far-flung corners of the world, demonic possession is still an issue, but certainly not here. Or maybe there is some demonic influence in the deep, dark corners of our culture, but we don't regularly come face to face with demonic power or possession as we go about our lives. Do we? The Bible is very clear that demonic forces are active in this world. We're warned in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Ephesians 6, verse 12 tells us, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We have active enemies in Satan and the fallen angels. But as believers, we also have hope and confidence, tremendous confidence, because Jesus was made manifest to destroy the works of the devil. And this text demonstrates Jesus' authority and power over unclean spirits. We see that here in this text, and there's excellent application for what our response should be. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have this morning to gather and worship. We thank you for the tremendous freedom that we enjoy to be able to come and worship and have no fear at this time here in this country. Lord, we recognize that this is a great blessing that many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world do not have and have not enjoyed throughout history. Lord, help us to be good stewards of all these blessings you've given us here in this country, both our freedom uh, and our great uh, prosperity, our peace, all these things. Lord, help us to use them uh, to honor and glorify you. Lord, we pray this morning as we look at this text that you would work through your word by the Holy Spirit, quicken it in our hearts and lives. May we be humble before it. May you convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. May we go forward and honor and glorify you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, first we're introduced to the ministry of Jesus in Capernaum. Or Capernaum. Look at verse 31. And he came down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. Now, the last time we were in Luke 4, we ended with verse 30, which tells us that Jesus, he passed through the midst of this murderous mob in Nazareth, his hometown. And then he went on his way. He had been teaching there in the synagogue. The people were angered by his words, and they tried to kill him. This mob pushed him up to the edge of a cliff, but then Jesus passed through them. He went on his way. And verse 31 tells us that that way was down to Capernaum. Uh, The beginning of verse 31 tells us he came down to Capernaum. Now, Nazareth is a village that's tucked away up in the hills of Galilee. But Capernaum was a city along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. These two settlements 
are only about 20 miles apart if you could travel in a straight line. But the terrain is very rough. Uh, Even with modern roads, it's a driving distance of about 30 miles. And so in Jesus' day, even though he traveled only a short distance, it was probably several days removed from the town or the village of Nazareth. Now, Capernaum was a significant settlement in that area. It was along the route of an ancient road that connected Egypt with Syria. It was believed to be a garrison town, uh, an administrative center, and a custom station there on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. And we know it was a wealthy settlement because it had a very impressive first century synagogue. And some of those ruins can still be seen today if you go and look at a picture of it. Uh, There is a later synagogue that the ruins are there, but the very bottom row of stones, like the foundation of that synagogue, is the uh, first century synagogue remains. And they can still be seen today. But the primary reason that Capernaum is remembered in history is because Jesus made this city his home base for his ministry in Galilee. Jesus, he left Nazareth and he traveled down to Capernaum. Now notice what Jesus did when he arrived there in Capernaum. Verse 31 tells us, he taught them. He taught them. When we think of the earthly ministry of Jesus, we may immediately think of all the miracles that he performed. But over and over and over again, we see the Gospels emphasize his teaching ministry. The teaching ministry of Jesus. His primary ministry was one of teaching, not miracles. Now, the miracles supported and helped substantiate his ministry, but they were not the focus of his ministry. They were an important part of Jesus' ministry, but they were in a supporting role to his teaching ministry. His ministry of teaching was his primary ministry to those around him. We notice also that Jesus did not turn aside from this ministry, even though he had been so strongly rejected in Nazareth. They tried to kill him. They were furious because of his teaching. But Jesus pressed on in ministry. He would not be turned aside from the work the Father had given him to accomplish. Now verse 31 tells us that Jesus taught on the Sabbath days. On the Sabbath days. This was the day that God had appointed for rest. But the Sabbath was not merely a rest from worldly labor, but a rest for worship. And the pious Jews would gather on this day for the duties of worship. So it was with Jesus. In all points, subject to the law and obedience to it, uh, he worshipped on the Sabbath days. And on the Sabbath days, when the people were gathered for worship at the synagogue, he was there, and he was busy in this teaching ministry. Now, verse 32 tells us how his teaching was initially received there in Capernaum. Verse 32, And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. This is similar to what we read earlier in this chapter. Back in verse 15, we read that Jesus was glorified of all there in that region of Galilee as he taught in their synagogues. Even in Nazareth, where he would eventually be so strongly rejected, uh, there was an initial astonishment at his teaching. In verse 22, we read, And all bear him witness, all all who were there in Nazareth, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? So they bear him witness, and they were in wonder at his gracious words. And so also, that's the way it was here in Capernaum. They were astonished at his doctrine. Now why? 
were they astonished at Jesus' teaching? Well, verse 32 tells us, For His word was with power. Jesus taught with power. He taught with authority. His doctrine came from God and He delivered it with confidence and certainty. Certainly there has never been anyone else who was so eminently qualified to teach the Word of God as the Word made flesh. Jesus taught the Word of God and He taught it with power. And the power and authority of Jesus' teaching, it stood in contrast to the teaching of the scribes who would rely on a long list of rabbis and their opinions for authority. But Jesus preached the Word with power and authority and the people were amazed at his teaching. Well, these first two verses, they give us some details about Jesus' ministry after Nazareth. He travels to Capernaum. He was initially received well there. And next in this passage, we see Jesus accosted by a demon-possessed man. And notice where this man was when he addressed Jesus. Verse 33, And in the synagogue there was a man. In the synagogue. In this place of worship where the Word of God was read and taught. Then this may seem like an unlikely place to find a demon-possessed man, yet there he was. And we learn from this that people who are under the power of Satan may yet be found among the worshipers of God. Associating with Christians does no more to make you a Christian than standing in a garage makes you a car. As Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3 verse 7, You must be born again. Bare association with the people of God will do you no good. Here was this demon-possessed man. He was there in a synagogue among, well, in a place where the Word of God was read. He was there in the presence of Jesus Himself, and yet he was demon-possessed. This demon-possessed man is not named. Now, we do have examples in Scripture where we have the names of people who were demon-possessed, but this man was not named. He could have been anyone. Maybe that's the point. We see people of every description afflicted with demon possession in Scripture. Men and women, kings and slaves, grown adults and children, the spiritual and the profane. It seems as if there is no class or type of person who cannot be demon possessed. Now we know virtually nothing about this individual except that he was demon possessed. And look at how verse 33 describes his demon possession. He had the spirit of an unclean devil. This was a spiritual affliction. He had a spirit. Many times we see demonic possession accompanied with some outward physical sign, but we're not told about any outward physical signs of demonic possession for this man. We only see him affected outwardly when Jesus cast the demon out. And this spirit is called unclean. Unclean. Contrast this with the Holy Spirit that dwelt within Jesus. On one side, you have perfect holiness in Jesus Christ. On the other side, you have only sin. On one side, you have perfect obedience to the Father. And on the other, only rebellion and opposition to the Father's will. On one side, you have the spotless Lamb of God. And on the other, the spirit of an unclean devil. And see how this demon-possessed man addressed Jesus. The end of verse 33 tells us, He cried out with a loud voice. Cried out with a loud voice. He didn't wait for Jesus to finish teaching for that day and then approach Him separately 
to discuss his opposition to Jesus' teaching. He didn't raise his hand and wait for Jesus to call upon him. He didn't whisper his grievances to his neighbor. He loudly cried out against Jesus. Demonic opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ is never quiet. It may be subtle. It may be well disguised. We may not readily recognize it. But Satan and his fallen host, they cry out with a loud voice against the doctrine of Christ. Now verse 34 tells us what this demon-possessed man said to Jesus. Saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. He begins, let us alone. Let us alone. This word or phrase, it's an exclamation of of fear or surprise. Uh, But later on, he also says here, what have we to do with thee? And art thou come to destroy us? Now, this doesn't seem to be a reference to multiple demons within this man. Later on in this verse, uh, the demon refers to himself in the singular. I know who thou art. And just one demon is mentioned in verse 35 when Jesus delivers this man from demonic possession. It may be that the us referred to here is all the demonic forces who have some degree of freedom to operate on earth at this time. We see other times in the Gospels uh, where demons are concerned that Jesus has come to judge them. The powers of darkness know that their time on earth is short. And they have some degree of freedom now, but they will not always be free. Hell was created for the fallen angels, and one day they will all be confined to this place of judgment. And so the us may be a reference here to other demons. Or it may be that the us refer to all those people present who are hearing the teaching of Jesus in Capernaum. Leave us alone, Jesus. John 3.19 tells us that men love darkness because their deeds are evil. And though this man may have been the only one present there in the synagogue that day who was demon-possessed, there would have been a general resistance to the holy doctrine that Jesus taught because of the innate sinfulness of men. In our sin, we reject the teaching of Jesus Christ. Let us alone, he began. Now look at what this demon-possessed man says next. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? This is a question of intent. To what end had Jesus come? It's almost as if the demon-possessed man is asking Jesus, Why are you here? Why are you here? You don't belong here. You are holy. We are not. We have no part with you. You have no part with us. And we learn something here about demons. And it's also true of angels. But they are not omniscient. They don't know everything. And this demon knew who Jesus was. He recognized Jesus as the Holy One of God. He recognized that Jesus was out of place. And he did not know why Jesus was there. Why have you come? Why are you here? The demon within this man, knowing that Jesus was holy and that sin will be judged, he asked Jesus there in verse 34, Art thou come to destroy us? Have you come to destroy us? This is an incredible statement. There's no thought of mercy here, only judgment. When we consider our sin, we don't often think of our sin as making us worthy to be destroyed. We find excuses for our sin. 
We love our sin. We think very little bad and sometimes much good about our sin. Apart from the grace of God, we don't recognize sin for what it is. Treason. Treason against our Creator, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Not so with the demons. They recognize their sin for what it is. They have no such delusions about sin. They know their sin is treason. They don't believe that God is worthy of obedience and the worship that He commands, but they do know that He is God. And they know nothing about God's mercy and grace. Hebrews 2 verse 16 tells us, For verily He, speaking of Jesus, took not on Him the nature of angels, but He took on Him the seed of Abraham. Mankind can know God's mercy and grace through Jesus Christ, who is God-made man. But Jesus did not take upon Himself the nature of angels to redeem the fallen angels. They only know God as He is revealed in His judgment against their sin. And so knowing God only in His judgment, the demon within this man, he asks, Have you come to destroy us? Have you come to destroy us? We learn from this that there is no peace, no security, no freedom from the fear of judgment for forces of spiritual darkness. All that the demons can do is fearfully look forward to God's judgment. As the enemies of God, this is their only end. Don't cast in your lot among them. Don't number yourself among the enemies of God. And you might say, I'm not God's enemy. Examine yourself by Scripture. James 4 verse 4 says, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. No grace was ever offered to the fallen angels. The judgment of God was their only and is their only possible end. But grace has been offered to us. God has given us space for repentance. God is long-suffering toward us. But don't assume upon the mercy of God. Don't assume that because God has been slow to judge, that God will never judge. Heed the words of the Apostle Paul in Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because He has appointed a day in which He will judge the world. The day of judgment is coming. This world is headed toward a terrible day of judgment. And the only safety to be found in that day will be in the ark of Jesus Christ. Don't remain an enemy of God. Repent of your sin. Turn to Jesus Christ and be saved. Now at the end of verse 34, this demon-possessed man makes it very clear that he knows the true identity of Jesus. The words of the demon-possessed man end with this incredible confession about Jesus. He says there, I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. I know thee. I know who you are, Jesus. I know that you are the Holy One of God. The most religious men in Israel did not have this insight. The priests at the temple, they didn't have this insight. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, none of them who consider themselves extremely religious and very insightful about spiritual things, they did not have this insight about Jesus. We even see confessions of this magnitude only occasionally, even among the closest followers of Jesus. But this demon-possessed man recognized Jesus for who he was, 
I know who you are, Jesus. I know that you are the Holy One of God. Well, so far in our text this morning, we've seen that Jesus traveled from Nazareth to Capernaum and taught in the synagogue. And we have looked at the words of this demon-possessed man. He questioned why Jesus was there. He anticipated God's judgment because he knew that Jesus was the Holy One of God. Now next, I want us to consider the words of Jesus to this demon-possessed man. In this text, we have only eight words of Jesus. Only eight words, but they're full of meaning and instruction for us. Jesus said to the demon-possessed man there in verse 35 of our text, Hold thy peace and come out of him. Hold thy peace and come out of him. In these words of Christ, we see his authority to restrain, his authority to compel, and his ministry of deliverance. So first consider Christ's authority to restrain. Jesus rebuked this demon and said, Hold thy peace. Be silent. Stop talking. Now notice, no debate followed this command. Jesus said, be silent, and the demon stopped. The demon didn't brush Jesus off. The demon didn't say, I'll do what I want. You're not the boss of me. Demonic forces have no more power than that which God allows. And if God says you can come this far and go no further, then truly they can go no further. God is the creator, and he sets the bounds for all of his creation, even the fallen angels. But why did Jesus rebuke this demon? Why did Jesus tell this demon to be silent? Again, this unclean spirit had just made an incredible confession about the identity of Jesus. This demon had said, Jesus, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's an incredible statement about the identity of Jesus. We don't have a record of anyone else who was there at this time who made such an excellent confession about the identity of Jesus Christ. We could say in one sense that this demon believed in Jesus. But of course, this shouldn't surprise us. James chapter 2.19 tells us all the demons believe and tremble. Jesus rebuked the demon and told him to be silent because first, Jesus had no common cause with demons. Several times throughout the Gospels, we see demons who recognize Jesus for who he truly was. And Jesus always commanded them to be silent. He had no part with devils, and he had no need for their testimony. Such a partnership between Jesus and demonic forces was actually alleged by the enemies of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, the Pharisees said, This fellow, talking of Jesus, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. He does what he does by the power of Satan. Now, had Jesus allowed the demons that he encountered in his earthly ministry to testify of him, maybe such a charge would have held some weight. But Jesus always commanded the demons to be silent. And what's more, Jesus cast them out. He cast them out. And so Jesus was able to answer this accusation in Matthew 12 by saying, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? And so first, Jesus commanded this demon to be silent because he had no common cause with demons. He had no need of their testimony. 
And second, Jesus rebuked the demon and told him to be silent because the demon had no interest in Christ. He had no interest in obedience, in submission, or in association with Jesus. Look again at what the demon-possessed man said there in verse 34. Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? This demon recognized Jesus. He knew some great truth about Jesus, but he had already set his course in sin. In ages past, this demon was among that number of fallen angels who joined in the rebellion of Satan, who fell with Satan in his rebellion. And there is no redemptive provision for fallen angels. And so Jesus rebukes him. And we can all take warning from this text that it is possible to have beautiful confessions about Christ and yet have no part with Him. We can have tremendous knowledge about Jesus and yet never know Him in salvation. We can know great truth about Christ and still not walk in obedience, submission, and surrender to Jesus as our Savior. In Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. True faith is active. True faith obeys. But back to the issue of this text. We see Jesus had the authority to restrain this demon. Jesus said, hold thy peace. And the demon said, nothing more. Hold thy peace. And the demon said, nothing more. Next, we see Christ's authority to compel. We've seen his authority to restrain. Next, his authority to compel. Jesus said, come out of him. Come out of him. Now, Jesus has already demonstrated that he has the power to stop demonic action. He told the demon to be silent, and the demon was silent. And here, Jesus demonstrates his power to uh, positively command the demonic forces. Jesus said, come out. And what happened? Well, verse 35 tells us, And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. Here we we see both the malice of the demon and the power of Jesus Christ over the demon. The malice of the demon is seen as it had thrown him in the midst. With force and fury, the demon threw the man possessed. Where Satan and his demons cannot destroy, they will do all the harm they possibly can. But we see the power of Jesus over the demon because no harm came to this man. In obedience to the command and rebuke of Jesus, the demon came out of this man. And hurt him not. When the demon left, this man was perfectly well in an instant. The powers of darkness can do no harm where Jesus commanded them to go. There was no other possible outcome. The spiritual forces of darkness strive against the light, but they have no power. If you walk into a dark room and you turn on the light, what happens? There's light. It's light. The light comes on and the darkness is driven away. The darkness cannot abide. It has no power to abide. The darkness can do nothing against the light. Now that's a natural example, but it's true also in the spiritual realm. What God commands will be accomplished. All the planning and scheming of Satan cannot stop God's sovereign plan. All the hatred and rebellion toward God that is found among the fallen angels cannot stay the omnipotent hand of God. All their attempts, all of their trying, all of their hatred, all of their effort, it all comes to nothing before the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come out. 
And the demon had to come out of this man. The last thing I want us to consider is the words of Jesus in this text, where Jesus said, come out of him. Come out of him. Who is the him? It's the man who was demon-possessed. There is a human being present in this text who is described, again, as having the spirit of an unclean devil. He is in bondage. He's under the influence, the control of this demon. Now, what else are we told about this man? Virtually nothing. Virtually nothing. The only other thing we know is that he was there in Capernaum. And that's everything that we know. He was in the synagogue in Capernaum on that Sabbath day. And he was demon-possessed. We don't know how long he had been under this affliction. We don't know if he had any outward signs of demonic possession. We don't know what happened to him after the events that are recorded here in this text. But this we do know. Here was a man in terrible spiritual bondage. And he met Jesus. And Jesus set him free. This is what Jesus does. Again, 1 John 3, 8 tells us, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. There is no work of Satan that Jesus cannot cast down. No stronghold of Satan that Jesus cannot overcome. There is no spiritual bondage that Jesus cannot break. He is our champion. He wins where we cannot. He succeeds where we fail. Take no confidence in yourself. Take no confidence in your flesh. Take no confidence in your own strength. But only in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come out of Him. And there we see His ministry of deliverance. So we see in this passage, from the words of Jesus, we see Christ's power to restrain the forces of evil. His power to compel forces of evil. And also his ministry of deliverance. Hold thy peace and come out of him. Next, consider how the people of Capernaum responded to this miracle. Verse 36 begins, And they were all amazed. They were all amazed. So again, we see this initial very positive response to the ministry of Jesus Christ. There was no question among them that a miracle had been performed. There was no doubt that a miracle uh, had happened. The people who were there, who were present, who witnessed this thing, they were amazed at what they had just seen. They wondered at the words of Christ and the authority and the power that He exercised over unclean spirits. They spoke among themselves, saying, What a word is this! For with authority and power He commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. They're amazed at what they've just seen. The authority and the power that Jesus spoke with. They're amazed. We're told also in verse 37, the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. Because of this miracle, though, the word of Jesus spread. People talked about this with their neighbors and it passed on through the region. And the fame of Christ grew in that region after this miracle had been performed. But as we look more extensively at the gospel account that we have, we know that this positive opinion of Jesus and his ministry did not last. Just like the prophets in the Old Testament, often there'd be excitement 
that went along with signs and wonders. But when the prophets called upon the people to obey the word of the Lord, the prophet was rejected. Because we love our sin. And so it was with Jesus. He would draw great crowds who came to see the miracles that he performed, the signs and wonders that were done. But when Jesus taught them hard doctrine, they turned away. For all the signs and wonders the people of Capernaum saw, for all the excellent teaching they heard from Jesus, for all the spiritual benefits that God had bestowed upon their city, yet they still did not repent. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus said, And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. What a rebuke for the people there in Capernaum. Once again, this passage reminds us that it's not enough to be amazed at the doctrine of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to be in awe of the signs and wonders that he performed. If there is no repentance, if there is no spiritual transformation, if you've never been born again, then all of the affection you feel for Jesus, all your kind thoughts about him, all of your awe and amazement at what we know about Jesus Christ, all your excellent knowledge about Jesus Christ, all of these things, if not accompanied with faith, they only serve to condemn us before God. Where great light of revelation has been given, there is great responsibility for faith and obedience before God. Responsibility to repent and then to go forward and walk in humble obedience to Jesus Christ. May we all examine our lives this morning in the light of the revelation of God's Word. Are we walking in the light that we have received? Are we walking in faith and obedience? Or are we like these people in Capernaum? In awe and wonder, but never changed. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that although we have a great and terrible enemy, although there are so many forces of spiritual darkness in this world, Lord, we only have a small glimpse of all that's going on in the spiritual realm. We thank you, Lord, that you are greater than all of these. We thank you, Lord, that for all of the hatred and malice of the fallen angels against you, Lord, they can do nothing to stay your hand. They can do nothing to frustrate uh, your plan, to frustrate your perfect will that's being worked out in history. We rejoice, Lord, in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the power that he demonstrated here in this text over the forces of darkness. Lord, we pray that you'd help us. Help us in light of the revelation that we have to lead lives that honor and glorify you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who has never been born again, who has never been awakened to the great sin that is their sin, that this is treason against you, that it is worthy of death, of eternal punishment in hell. Lord, I pray that there would be tremendous conviction in hearts and lives this morning. pray, Lord, that we would turn to you in faith and obedience. Do a work that only you can do, Lord. And we trust in you to do this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.